On this episode, I'm in the room with Stephen Miller discussing his new album, Liberating King. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 28. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. If you're new to the podcast, my goal is to bring you in the room for conversations with interesting people. I talk with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. This week, I'm in the room with Stephen Miller. He's the worship pastor at Real Life Church in Austin, Texas. In addition to his pastoral responsibility, Stephen is also a songwriter, a coach, and an author. And he has a brand new album out this week titled Liberating King. In our conversation, we're discussing how to cultivate relationships when you're leading artists, how to foster the relationship between the worship leaders and the lead pastor, and how this new project, Liberating King, came together. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear how you can win one of three free copies of Liberating King and to hear my concluding thoughts on my conversation with Stephen. Now I want to invite you in the room for my conversation with Stephen Miller. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for coming on In the Room. I really appreciate it. For people who maybe aren't super familiar with you or your ministry, can you give me just a quick synopsis, both of kind of where you've been ministry-wise and then what you're currently doing now? Yes, yeah, so I've been leading worship for about uh, 16 years now. Um, started out sort of in my student ministry as a high school student, um, and uh, there's just a need there, and God just kind of had his hand on that, called me into the ministry at a young age, and so I started doing that really young, um, which kind of led to an itinerant ministry right out of high school. So I did that for a few years, started going to a church called the Austin Stone in Austin, Texas, uh, learned a ton about leading worship um, there, and then took my first full-time ministry job in a local church in Houston uh, in 2006. Uh, did that for three years there, uh, went back on the road for a little bit, and then uh, God moved my family up to um to St. Louis, where we were for about five years at a church called The Journey there um, with Darren Patrick. And uh, man, loved that. It was simultaneously five of the best and five of the hardest years of our life. Uh, grew so much in a lot of ways, kind of became who I am as a worship leader, as a husband. Um, our, our family really grew there, both uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah, uh, we, we went from two kids to five kids. Awesome. Uh, and and uh, adopted two boys from Ethiopia, and and then had our fifth kid in October of 2013, and sort of started to realize, hey, you know what? Being 1,200 miles away from home from my wife's family um, was a little bit uh, not where we needed to be at that time, and so. Yeah. Um, began to ask the Lord to open up an opportunity for us to move back to Austin. And, and so uh, here we are now, have been here for about nine months uh, back in Austin, Texas, and uh, sort of doing a lot of different types of things here. Um, I started a, a ministry called Rooted Network uh, that we're kind of getting off the ground to equip worship leaders um, uh, from all different types of the spectrum. Um, you know, both racially and doctrinally and uh, expressively and all of those types of things, just kind of looking at 
um, building that team out right now to start that and um, really exciting thing for me um, working on this new record Liberating King that we'll have coming out here on Monday um, and uh, and just uh, plotting away serving in our local church here uh, here in Austin so yeah. I know you mentioned your adoption earlier on I know that that's uh, a cause that's near to your heart obviously and your family very much so what what's been in that process as I know that lots of people are in different stages of thinking about that considering that what's been most surprising to you in walking through that process on your own you know I think um was it harder than you thought easier than you thought what you thought yeah so uh, we we prepared ourselves for the worst because everyone kind of said this is really really hard, uh, and the I think in our minds we thought the process would be really hard. You know, getting them home would be the hardest part. And for us, honestly, that was not. I mean, aside from raising the money and having to step out in faith and believe that God would provide that when it wasn't there, um, that was probably the biggest thing for me as the man provider for my family, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but but getting them home was actually fairly easy. Um, it was, it, it's really, I think the hardest thing for us right now is that they've been home for coming up on four years now. Uh, this July will be four years and we're still sort of uncovering, um, some of the struggles that they have to trust that we're going to provide for them, that we're going to take care of them, that we're not going to leave them. Cause they were five and three when they came home. So yeah. they had lots of time to develop issues you know they sure. were they were they were in the streets begging you know whenever um the cops picked them up and um and so they they went through a lot before they came home um and and, and so still sort of unearthing some of those things and trying to like not get frustrated at that but love them through it i think yeah. for us right now that's sort of where we are and um it's sort of that that picture of sanctification, even in my own life, I'm getting more and more every year with these boys. Uh, I'm getting a picture of God's love for me because um, I think as a believer, I, I tend to get really frustrated with myself that I'm not further along than I really feel like I should be. Um, and I kind of wonder, like, does God feel like I should be further along than I should be? Right. You know, but he, but but he's so compassionate and patient with me, and I find myself drawing that parallel and trying to be more like him and the way that I parent my kids. So uh, always, always a growing opportunity uh, for me in that. Yeah. Uh, For someone that might be on the front end of exploration in that journey, any resources or organizations that you'd point them to? Yeah. uh, Show hope was huge for us. I mean, uh, down to God using them to call us into ministry, into the ministry of adoption. And I call it a ministry of adoption because I think it is, um, we were at a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert, and Stephen Curtis Chapman was there, and he was talking about um, why he adopted from China and kind of giving this resource to try to help people who might be feeling that tug at their heart. And my wife and I left that concert going, man, we, I think, you know, we've talked about this for a long time. Maybe now's the time. And yeah. uh, it wasn't at that point, but it took a couple of years, and, and then it was the time. And Show Hope was incredible at giving us some resources, um, both um, – reading material and and even helping to finance our adoption to some extent helping us um to bring to bring the boys home so that's awesome um, they were great uh i would say like um dan kruver 
um, with Together for Adoption has got some really great stuff out there uh, for that. Um, his conference is on. He's got a book that is incredible. Um, Jason Kovacs with um, uh, his ministry. I can't right now remember what it's called. Yeah. Uh, but he's Caitlin, at the Austin K- Stone K- though, right? He he is now. He wasn't yeah. at the time, but okay. um, but he is now. Um, Caitlin's Fund helped us out. They're they're awesome. Um, and then. Uh, what was the name of the uh, Life Song for Orphans? Okay. Also, hu- huge resource for us. And they, I mean, all of these organizations do ongoing training, encouragement, um, you know, blogs to help with, you know, how you're feeling, th- things like that. I mean, it's really, really cool. And then just having people around us that adopt it as well um, to encourage us through it, you know. Yeah. Um, has been huge as well. Good. That's awesome. Well, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you started leading worship in your high school student ministry. So when did music start to become a thing for you? Did you start really young? Uh, did that develop in high school to pick up girls? That's when mine started to develop. Uh, so, so how did that go down for you? Yeah. Uh, music was always a thing for me. Okay. Um, church music was not okay. ever a thing for me. Yeah. Because when, when I was in, you know, when I was in school and, and all growing up in the church, I mean, it was like hand wavy guy, yeah. you know, with the three piece suit and the George W. Bush comb over yep. singing like Pavarotti. Uh, and, and there's a choir and orchestra just trying to, you know, and there's sort of like church calisthenics, like stand yep. up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Yep. So for me, I, I really did my best to try like fake a sickness every Sunday to stay home from church. Yeah. Um, but my mom made sure I was in church every Sunday. So I'm really glad that she um, did because that laid a foundation for my faith. But I, I never thought I was going to do music for the church. Um, and Christian music back then wasn't worship music, you know? Yeah. Like DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline and Petra and Carmen and all that. Right. So it's more storytelling. So maybe that could have been where I was he- headed. I don't know. But um, I-, I remember the first time I saw a band lead worship for the first time, and uh, and and like here we are and singing songs to God that connected with me emotionally and musically and all that. It was like I would listen to this record right next to whatever other record I was listening to. Yeah, and uh, I thought. I thought, man, I, I think I could do that. Maybe that God's calling me to do this. And of course, as a high school kid, you know, you're just like, of course, you want to be in a band and, sure. and sing songs, and, you know. Um, so really prayed about it a lot. And uh, my youth pastor came to me and said, "Hey, you, there's a there's a need here. Could yeah. you step up and start leading worship for our for our youth group?" So, so that's how it's kind of started. And and we started doing that. My um, my junior year and by the time we were midway through my senior year we had other churches asking our band which was a terrible band name it was zoo z-e-w that's phenomenal uh, <laughs> we were we were leading worship in like church d nows and stuff like that yeah. all over the state of texas and and uh and that was great because you know as a high school kid you can either work at old navy which i had done or you could play in a band and and play at churches on the weekends right. so that's sort of part of what we did. It was, it was pretty fun, uh, you know, exciting yeah. stuff early on. Well, in being in an 
different environments where you've led worship, one of the things I've noticed is that you seem to have a small group of guys around you that have been with you for a while, uh, at least the kind of the core of it. And so I wonder what you've done, because it involves moves too, like Texas and St. Louis and all of that. So what have you done to cultivate those relationships? And what do you think worship leaders can do to cultivate relationships with the artists that they're surrounded with? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, So I think... For me, that sense of team and friendship is the most important part. Knowing ahead of time, if I'm going to ask you to be involved in my team, that I can trust you and that uh, you love God's word, you love the church. Uh, If you're married, you love your wife and your family. If you're not, like you're you're committed to purity, things like that. Um, So that like it's like sort of dating with the intent of marriage, you know, kind of thing. Whenever I ask somebody to be involved in my ministry, I'm looking at it very long term. Okay. Um, knowing, knowing that those people are their own persons and free to do whatever they want, um, I'm sort of going, okay, I want, I want guys who see the vision of this and, and, are, and want to be committed to that. Um, and then hopefully I lead with integrity um, and, and in a way that's trustworthy and honest enough that they just see all my faults and flaws and um, hopefully strengths and and all that as well in a way that um, we're able to maintain a sense of, of team, yeah. you know? Like yeah. It's not just like, you're not a hired gun for Stephen Miller. Right. You're my friend and, and partner in ministry. Right. And and so I think we've done it, you know, we've tried to build that and and – so far, you know, it's been really cool to see, obviously, certain life change, you know, things happen, guys get married, they have kids, they can't, you know, my drummer, who was my drummer for like six years, uh, when we were in St. Louis, he got married, uh, and they had a baby, and when we moved back to Texas, it was just like, sorry, man, my wife is, you know, her, her mom's an hour away from here, we yeah. just can't move, right. and I'm like, of course you can't, you know, <laughs> so... Uh, we also sort of have a pipeline of training happening at all times. And we had a, a guy who was playing uh, keys for us at the time and then bass on the road. He's sort of that kind of guy that does everything better yeah. than you. Um, and so I just said, hey, Ryan, would you like to move down uh, with us and take over the drum throne or right. whatever you want to call it? Yeah. And, and, and it was like, yeah, totally. So it, it's sort of like we're always trying to replicate and reproduce ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that, for me, is so, so key to what I do. Yeah. So when you pour into guys, they feel, you know, they feel a sense of team and wanting to stay sure. apart, you know, stay tell, together. Tell me a little bit about how you do that, because I know especially – you know, especially if you are involved in ministry, like Sunday's always coming, there's another service to get ready, there's a new crop of songs to run, whatever it is that you have going on. I know that it can be easy for people in ministry in general, worship leaders maybe in particular, to really kind of put the the Sunday and the task before the person. That's easy to do because yeah. the, the task is, it, it's one of those few, like there's a new service coming every single Sunday. So mm. what have been some ways that you've, you've kind of combat been able to combat that and really invest in that friendship piece yeah um well first off i think men in general tend to connect over their work anyway yeah so it's a lot easier for me to have a friendship with a guy who we're we're like shoulder to shoulder moving forward together you know um i don't like go and 
you know, hold hands with a dude and sip coffee and stare yeah. deeply into his eyes and tell yeah. him how grateful I am for, you know, we, yeah. we have fun. Uh, I think partly I'm a major extrovert. Okay. Um, and so I thrive on that time together with, with my team. And because they're my team, they also tend to be my closest friends. Yeah. Um, and so, um, we kind of get jazzed on the creative process together, uh, just really enjoy uh, hanging out and talking about creative ideas. And sometimes that like gets old to our wives because they're just like, can we talk about something other than music? You know? Right. But, um, but you know, whenever you're passionate about something it naturally, it's like, it's like a built in affinity group, you know? Sure. Um, and so I think that helps a lot. We, we help, we have like barbecues and I love to cook. And so have my guys over for dinner and their wives over for dinner and stuff like that. Um, pretty regularly. Um, whenever it's time to go see a movie or whatever, very yeah. rarely do my wife and I not say, Hey, let's invite so-and-so or so-and-so, you know, yeah. or the whole group, you know? Um, and so I think that helps, yeah, you know, totally. quite a bit. Well, one thing about you is that you've worked with a number of pastors and, uh, I'm sure that there's been a range of experiences, but, um, even if it hasn't really been the case for you, it's sadly common for there to be an immense amount of tension between a worship leader or worship leaders and oftentimes kind of the lead preaching pastor. And, uh, and so even if that hasn't been your personal experience, I'm sure that you've talked to a lot of people that have experienced that, but what tend to be the most common points of tension that you've experienced or seen people experience with their kind of lead pastor preacher? Yeah, I think, uh, the struggle to understand one another is huge. Um, you know, the, the, the worship leader, you know, kind of thinks like, their work is really important and the pastor and perceives the pastor to think that it's not. And the pastor's sitting there going, what does that guy do all day? You yeah. know, <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a, that's a big one. And the worship leader's like, we're just writing a sermon all day. Like, you know, kind of thing. But yeah. the reality is that both roles, if, if, if you're loving the church properly are going to include a lot more than the other might assume. And usually their personalities are quite a bit different, you know? Um, and so uh, an artist kind of tends to hold his art very close to his heart and dear and hold his, you know, wear his heart on his shoulder. So he's easily offended, easily um, kind of defensive whenever mm-hmm. a pastor might come to him and, and offer some advice or say, hey, we're not going to do that this week, which right. ultimately is the pastor's job, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think partly it's that worship leaders probably are way too defensive uh, pastors, I think a lot of times don't have time to, um, you know, strive to understand their worship leader, um, and, and think the best of them initially rather than immediately jumping to the worst possible conclusion or, or getting frustrated. So open communication, I think is the biggest thing, um, there to be a sense of mutual respect and trust and friendship, even not necessarily the kind of friendship that says, Oh, we're going to go to like the Bahamas together once a year. Right. But like, you know what I'm going through. I know what you're going through. We're praying for each other. We believe the best about each other and we're unwaveringly for one another. Uh, I think that's probably the big one. Um, And then I think the second one is just, I think the artist bent in general is one of um, bucking the system, Uh Uh, has a problem with authority in general. Um, And so it's really hard for an artist temperament type person to just like submit 
to the authority that God's placed over them. Yeah. And sometimes that's exactly what God's got them in that place to learn. Um, a lot of worship leaders feel that they have they should have already arrived and don't need the feedback of someone who's been in ministry longer than them, uh, who God's placed over them. And so um, there's just sort of this constant chip on their shoulder where they feel like everyone's against them. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I've walked that. So I know uh, how that how that feels. Um but the truth is, like, there's no perfect job, no perfect pastor, no perfect worship leader. And so there's always going to be that tension. And really, it comes down to um, constantly placing yourself in a position of humility um, to submit to God's authority over your life and understand that God has placed authority over your life um, that you may or may not agree with all the time. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to follow it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Well, I want to talk about the new record, Liberating King. Uh, but before we kind of jump into that. Uh, a while back, you wrote a book called Worship Leaders, We Are Not Rock Stars, which was a great book. But I wanted to ask you kind of how you prevent that mentality in your own ministry. Um, is there anything in particular that you do? Sorry, because you're, I mean, you're, we're here to talk about an album that you're releasing, you're going to travel and tour, all of the same things that, that, like rock stars would do an increasing number of worship leaders and people in ministry are doing as well. So how do you prevent that just in your own life and ministry from a perception standpoint, but even also just in your own heart as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you can try to control how people perceive you, but, um, that's tough. It's, it's usually, it's usually a failure. Yeah. <laughs> you <yeah>. know, um, <laughs> people are, People are going to uh, assume what they assume. So I'll, I'll start with what I can actually do and yeah. actually control. And the first thing is, I mean, I, I am married to probably the most amazing woman that God could have ever allowed me to marry. Uh, definitely the most amazing woman yeah. that God could have that ever That was a quote. We'll edit that and, part out in case she hears it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, uh, and, 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 you know, she, she knows me better than anybody. Yeah. Um, she knows, she knows whenever I'm, uh, missing the mark, uh, maybe even just a little bit, like getting a couple degrees off and helps me kind of recorrect before, uh, before I'm way off, you know, yeah. uh, which is huge. I mean, even down to like running an idea by her and her being like, I don't think that's the best idea, you know, and me being the artist that I am sometimes have been like, no, it is the best idea and right. I do it anyway. And then like it goes horribly, horribly awry and she's yeah. like, I told you it wasn't the best idea. So I guess over the years I've, I've tried to learn to trust her in that and, th and that really helps. And then having my team around me um, to help as well. I mean, they all know my struggle. You know, I, I wrote the book, Worship Leaders Were Not Rockstars, not out of a pointing fingers at people, but out of, this is my story and this is what I've struggled with in the past. And I got to feel like if I struggle with it and all these people that I'm meeting struggle with it, then probably most worship leaders do. Yeah. And that's the struggle of, of, of what's your motive, what's your motivation and, and why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it to make much of Jesus? Or are you doing it to, to make a name for yourself? And, um, in my flesh, you know, so oftentimes in the past, I've done things to make a name for myself, not to make much of Jesus, or maybe a little bit of both. And there's some alloy in my motives there. But um, I, I think ultimately what I'm trying to get at is preaching the gospel to myself, uh, reminding myself who I am in Christ, um, and, and then sort of pointing to from that identity, 
what are my functions as a worship leader? Yeah. So it's more than being an entertainer. It's more than being a great musician. It's more than any of that. It's, it's, it's being a pastor, a theologian, a storyteller, an artist. I mean, those things, uh, those are functional roles. They're not my foundational identity. Right. But I think what happens is we tend to get the, them mixed around, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and I can start to believe that my functional role is my foundational identity, but that's not true. And yeah. so, to remind myself who I am in Christ uh, before anything else, I think it's the biggest way to combat that mentality of trying to to gain approval and affection and applause from man, because ultimately there's a greater approval and applause and affection out there um, that will not ever fail or bail. It's going to be there for eternity, you know, right. and that's my Father in heaven. Yeah. Know? Hey, it's me, Ryan, again. Sorry to interrupt, but I need your help. If we're going to make it as easy as possible for people to find these podcasts, we have to increase our visibility on iTunes. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, will you take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes, and leave me a short review? It's that simple. Every review makes a huge impact. Keep spreading the word, and thanks for your support. Now back to the conversation. Well, most people in their life are never going to record an album. The vast majority of people are never even going to write a song. So tell me a little bit about how um, an album like Liberating King comes together. Um, so like, for instance, when did you start writing the songs that have made their way onto this record? Yeah, um, I started I started writing music when I was in high school. My first song was the worst song ever. It was It was called Faithful Daddy. Uh, is, and it, that should have been the name of your band. Yeah. It's Faithful Daddy. It, it said, I kid you not, Faithful Daddy, Faithful Daddy, Faithful Daddy, you've been so faithful to me. So <laughs> I, that's great. I tell guys, yeah, I tell guys who, who have like thought about getting into songwriting, like, don't worry if your first song really is terrible because it can never be as bad as Faithful Daddy. Um, <laughs> but it's just. it's just, you know, over the years, um, I've learned that like I have to write every day you know, yeah. in some, some form or fashion to like tune my heart to the heart of God and get into the word and write down something, um, yeah. from that experience and in, in time alone with him. Um, and I find whenever I'm like drying up with my song ideas that it's usually tied to, um, not going to the well, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, if I, if I find myself having gone like a week or two without having written anything, I'm just like, man, I need to like pursue Jesus, not for, not for the sake of the song, but because like it's that time with him that sparks creativity in me. Yeah. Um, and so I try to do that every day. Some days, um, some days I don't, some days it's just crazy, but try to write something every day. So yeah. for, for liberating King, you know, it's a never ending process of writing. So what we were still working on my all hell, the King album, when I started writing for, for okay. liberating King, um, you know, that released in August of 2013. And, um, man, I was, I was already, you know, going hard after a couple of other songs. Yeah. And so it was a few years uh, of, really sharpening the ideas. Um, How many songs total did you write and pick from, do you think? Uh, it's hard to tell. 
I, I mean, I send them to the guys immediately. As soon as I write something, I lay it down on GarageBand or something like, or even on my phone. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we kind of go from there. I probably wrote 60 songs okay. for this record. Um, not knowing what, what the theme of the album was going to be, but yeah. we started to pick up a theme, you know, and I started writing a book at the same time, which will release next year of the same name, Liberating King. And so okay. as I was sort of meditating on that, you know, a lot of these songs started to come from that. You yeah. know what I mean? Do you tend to write songs alone or do you do a lot of co-writing? Um, I'm actually, ex- I mean, this record I have, I have one co-write, um, with a guy named Ross King who, uh, I wrote, uh, nothing can slow you down off the last record with, um, he's written a lot of really good stuff. I mean, that you'll hear, um, he, you know, clear the stage, Jimmy Needham. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the new song the newsboys are doing that's on the radio. He wrote that one. Okay. Um, that he's, he's a great, great songwriter and a good friend of mine. And he's helped me a lot as a songwriter, but that's really the only co-write on this record I did. Uh, well, I, I take that back. I wrote, um, liberating King, I sort of had the song written and I had an idea for the bridge and I, I just couldn't land on what I liked the most. So the band and I actually kind of tweaked that together. Okay. Um, and then to praise your glory was a pretty fun experience of just going through the book of Ephesians with uh, my team at the journey and um, getting around a whiteboard and saying, we want to write a call to worship out of Ephesians one and two and um, just took a day and wrote that song on a whiteboard. So, um, but everything else on the, on the record is, is me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and there, there was a lot of driving over these last two years cause yeah. we've moved and, and, uh, there was sort of all that back and forth in the process of that. And so I wrote a lot of the songs in the middle of the night when my whole family was asleep in the car and I'm just like listening to, uh, a guy read the ESV Bible to me or a Tim Keller podcast or something like that. And then yeah. something gets sparked and I start to kind of write it in my head and then sing it into my phone. And my wife wakes up and goes, what are you doing? And I'm yeah. like, writing a song yeah. you know? uh, or, or something like that. And so then I'll write uh, the lyrics and the melody are usually the first thing done. Yeah. And, and then I'll, I'll sort of put down an idea for that song Um you know, do some sort of voice memo, send it to the band guys. Yeah. And then we just hash through it for yeah. months and months and months. Do you um, have, do you have, song. do you have uh, anyone in your head when you're writing songs? Like, are, are you right? Cause I, I would imagine that writing a book or a blog, but that's intentionally like I'm, I'm right. I know I'm writing this to help other people. Whereas a song, you may not know exactly how that's going to come out, where that's going to live. So when you, when you, do you notice a pattern in your own life? Are you thinking about your church, about the people you know you're going to be ministering to outside of your church? Is it just kind of a you and Jesus thing? But like, who's your audience when you're first writing songs? Yeah. uh, So initially my first thought every time is, is this song singable in my church? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, A, is it helpful? Are the lyrics clear? Um, are they understandable? Um, you know, early on, I think I was, I was so abstract as a writer, um, that I would think something is really fun and cool and an interesting way of saying something. And then people would just be like, what does that mean? You know? Right. And, uh, and the more times you get asked, what does that mean? The more you kind of got to step back and go, all right, maybe I need to pair this down to a little more understandable lyric. Um, yeah. and, and so, uh, that's part of it. Uh, 
for the church that I'm serving at in, in Austin, you know, it's a lot of new believers. And so my thought was, how do I, um, how do I make really accessible doctrine um, for, for people to, to, to be singing week in, week out and let yeah. it shape them? But, but honestly, whether you're a new believer or not, that should be your aim as a worship songwriter is to, to shape people to understand the gospel better and to yeah. be able to sing the gospel to themselves and to sing it to each other in the corporate setting. Yeah. Um, and then, and then just ask like, is this true? Uh, is it, is it something that is God centered, not man centered? So those are all questions that I'm asking, um, down to like, is this singable for dudes? You know, right. um, which is a big thing for me. Um, I think early on, I, I, uh, I was such a fan of the worship leader guys who could sing so high that no other man could do it. And yeah. I did that. Um, and the more and more that men would come up to me and say, I just cannot sing in your, in your range. Mm -hmm. The more you kind of, you just, God, I think puts that burden in your heart to say, man, men need to be singing. And, um, and so we tried to do this album in a, in a way that is singable for men. That was a big aim for us yeah. down to the, the content of the lyrics. I mean, it, a lot of these words are pretty manly. Um, and I say that hopefully in a good way, you know, yeah. not, not in a way that, that excludes women from singing it, but you know, it's a lot of like conquering mm -hmm. type language and, um, Jesus as the conqueror, not us as the conquerors, but yeah. Jesus as the conqueror and, and the liberator and, um, the victorious, you know, king and savior and ruler and um, a lot of that kind of language in this record. Yeah, which is good, which we need more of in our vocabulary uh, of worship for sure. Um, there's a guy on Twitter named at Travis Ham who I thought had a great question about songwriting, but he said, what does the relationship look like between your songwriting process and the preaching slash life of your church? And I think you've already hinted at that you're, you've been mindful with liberating king of the guys that you minister to, uh, of the fact that your church is filled with new believers. But I'm, I'm curious about the, as a preacher, does the preaching of your pastor, does that influence your writing in any way? Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I strive to write songs from the life of our church for the life of our church. Um, and obviously a huge part of that is the preaching, you know? And yeah. so, um, uh, I, I want to try to supplement that as much as I can with songs that are sort of saying the same things. Um, I think what's harder for, so like at, at, at the journey, you know, whenever we wrote this, the songs for the book of Ephesians, like we knew a couple months out, we we're going to be going through an entire book of yeah. Ephesians, you know? And so we wrote an entire album from that book for that series. Um, I don't, I, I, I've never had that luxury yeah. <laughs> apart from that one experience. Usually it's sort of like, um, we're going to do this three week series on this subject yeah. or, uh, and a lot of guys are in that boat. That's the boat that I'm in right now. Yeah. Um, it becomes harder to kind of go, all right, um, let's write a song for this three week series, right. you know? Um, but to say, okay, let's plan songs that work with that. And if, and if God allows a song to, to come from that experience, it would probably be mostly like post series kind of yeah. thing. Um, truth is truth, you know, no matter where you are in, in, 
sermon series or preaching series. Yeah. Um, you hope that that works itself out and you're singing. Yeah. And I think, I think to, to, I mean, most preachers probably have some sense, at least thematically of where they're headed. And I think to be able to talk about those themes, uh, for, you know, over the course of a six months to a year and for songwriters and worship leaders to be able to write more thematically than like Scott Holthouse, our worship pastor just wrote a song for a series that we're in called awakening. And it's very much tied to the series, which I think is a, is great. I also think that it has a more of maybe a shelf life in that. If it can be, if sometimes the stuff's too tightly tied to one particular thing, I think that there's some benefit in knowing like these are the, th- and I think that like if we're gospel preaching, Bible preaching churches, we kind of have a sense of what the themes are going to be. Um, yeah. So I think to always be writing around in a common language that's used in your local church, I think that's great. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, so where for this record, where did you end up recording this record? Uh, you know, uh, the move was a challenge because I mean, even at the journey, we, my team, we do it all in house. So, um, we would, we at least had buildings at the journey to kind of hop, hop around. Um, so at the journey, we, we sort of would use this sanctuary or that sanctuary to track drums and then this basement to do, you know, vocals or whatever. Here, we don't have a building and our office is in the middle of an insurance building. So there was nowhere. Luckily, um, I have a friend who has like this (laughs) monster truck garage where he like works on monster trucks. You are in Texas, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. About 20 minutes outside of town. And uh, and so he just said, hey, you know, if, if you want, we can move all that stuff out of the room and you can set up in there. And so we set up in a monster truck garage That's and tracked awesome. the record there. Um, and, and so pretty fun experience, you know, yeah. um, we did, we did all, all, all the arranging and writing in my garage. We became a garage band for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and then once the songs were ready, um, we moved out to that, <laughs> to that monster truck garage. <laughs> right. So does the album have an overarching, I mean, the title is, is liberating King. Is there an overarching theme or, you know, is it just a collection of songs from your heart over the last couple of years? Tell me a little bit about the scope of the album. Yeah, the scope is, I mean, I, I believe that in worship, we are in a, encountering the truth in three very unique ways. Okay. Um, namely that we're encountering Jesus he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, he says that my word is truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's a promise there that when you are singing the truth and rehearsing the truth and meditating on the truth and knowing it, um, that there's freedom to be found there. And then he says, I'm sending my spirit. And then later it says, the spirit is the spirit of truth. Yep. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Um, and so essentially the, the whole idea of this record was that as we worship, we're encountering the truth and the truth is promised to set us free. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are just constantly struggling with sin and doubt and, and unbelief and all kinds of things. Um, and so we wanted to write songs that were just packed with truth that Jesus is the liberator. He's the one who has come to set us free, um, is committed to that freedom. It's for freedom that he set us free. Um, and, and so 
that that's a big promise. We wanted to be singing about that. Yeah. Um, that Jesus isn't just some dude up in heaven who's disinterested in our struggles and our fears and our doubts, but he is here with us now, um, able to help and wanting to help, Yeah, you know, uh, and he's given us worship to be a big part of that. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, it, it talks a lot. I mean, I said earlier, it's just about the liberating power of, of Jesus, of the cross, of the spirit, of the word. Um, and it's just very full of gospel truth that I, that I really pray God will use to, to set people free from, yeah. from a lot of different types of things. What's your favorite song on the album and why? <laughs> that's good. I know Man, that's probably uh, pretty hard to pick, but if you've, so, and if you've so got a hard. couple, give me a couple. Yeah, um, man. Uh, That's kind of like going like, which one of your kids do you like the best? <laughs> uh, so as far as like, it's not, it's, it's actually the only non-corporate worship song on the record, I would say probably. It's okay. only Sinless One. Okay. Uh, it's track two and um, it's just, you know, very, very cool poetic song. Who has swallowed death in victory And nailed it to his cross Our God, he isn't safe, but he is good It may I probably like Jesus Reigns Supreme the most. We haven't actually done it uh, corporately yet. Yeah. So I've yet to see how people will respond to it. But as far as my own personal enjoyment of it, I love that song. I love the feel of it. I love the lyrics. I love, I mean, it's written from Colossians 1, just talking about the supremacy of God, the preeminence of, of God, of, of Christ, um, and just the power that he has to hold it all together. He is he is supreme, you know, yeah. there's no one above him. And uh, I love that, that just huge picture of Jesus. I would say uh, our father is like a close either tie or second <laughs> yeah. um, from that. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was, that, that's actually the song I was talking about. I was driving through Oklahoma from St. Louis to Austin and listening to this Tim Keller podcast. Um, and he was talking about the, the verse, how great is the love of the father. Um, that he, uh, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And he's talking about just like that, the meaning of that verse and how huge it is. It's like this otherworldly love that you can't comprehend and have never seen anything like it. And, um, and, and for me, I noticed a while back that, um, I have a, a really easy time identifying with God as my king, as my ruler, um, as, you know, the sovereign one, you know, all those yeah. things. I, I, I really, I think I've struggled to connect with God as my father, that he is um, that intimate with me. Um, 
you know, Jesus says to pray uh, our Father in heaven. So there's like this transcendent um, intimacy. Like he's yeah. huge, he's in heaven, he's above all things, but he also cares deeply about me. Um, and and so to sing a song that really sort of combined a lot of the things that Jesus had to say about God as our Father in, in an intentional song of adoration to my Father was yeah. huge for me. Yeah. Um, because I, I, again, I mean, I, I think that that honors a God who is so love, so loving, and so wise, and so um, in tune with everything that you need and everything that you uh, care about. You know, um, yep. there's nothing too small, and 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 so um, I just wanted to honor. Honor the Father in that, and and I think that it's meant a lot to me. Yeah. Because I, I would just never sing to Him. I'd never pray to Him. I would, you know, I'd start every prayer, Lord, you know, and um, and Jesus says to start every prayer, Father, you know. Right. So. Good. Well, uh, just kind of in closing, you know, we've got people listening that I'm sure aspire to a similar ministry to what God's built through you. And so what would you tell someone that aspires to, uh, you know, being a worship leader in a church, being a worship pastor, being on staff full time, but also maybe doing some traveling, making records, songwriting, all that. What, when you think about that person, basically you probably 10, 15 years ago, uh, what, what advice would you give? Yeah, I I have a couple of things that I, I tend to tell young worship leaders and, you know, every worship leader really because you're never you never really outgrow these things, but the first is like work on your theology as much as your theory. Yeah, that's um, good. You need to know the Bible, you know, as much as you know, if not more than you know your instrument, your craft, your your art. Um you need to know God's word. Um because God's word is what God has promised to use to change lives more than your more than your voice, more than your guitar, more than your song, anything like that. Um, I would say the second thing: work on your character as much as your talent. Um, all the talent in the world doesn't amount to anything in the eternal scheme of things uh, if your character doesn't, you know, if your character doesn't line up with that. Yeah. Don't write a check with your talent that your character can't cash. You know. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing I would say is get a coach, somebody who has been in ministry longer than you've been alive and uh, that you're honest with about your your struggles, shortcomings, all those things who can help you, uh, who can point out things whenever you're sort of missing the mark, uh, who, who, are, who are not afraid to be honest or kick you in the pants whenever you're, you know, getting off track. Um, that's huge, having somebody that, that you give the freedom to um, – to speak into your life because the truth is there are going to be people constantly speaking into your life. Um, and some of them are going to be telling the truth to you and some of them are just going to be really off base. Yeah. And you need somebody who knows you and who knows your heart and who knows uh, what God is doing in and through you, um, who can actually, you can trust to tell you the truth. Yeah. So have a coach. That's good. Those are the three main things I would say. Good. 
All right. So what's the best place for people to pick up Liberating King? How can they get a hold of it? Uh, it's on iTunes. Um, it's on Bandcamp, Amazon, all those things. If you get it on Bandcamp, I know that's a little bit more because you can't get it straight to your phone, but you get two songs today. You get Our Father and the Love of God uh, if you do it on Bandcamp. And those are WAV files, so they're just a little better quality than the okay. MP3s on iTunes. Um, those are probably the best. And you can follow me on on Twitter, and I'll put links up and all that kind of stuff as we go. But um, And then we're actually doing a... a, a you know, a name your own price kind of deal for people who can't afford it because we do like to give away music for just to be a blessing to people. So it'll be available uh, on Noise Trade as well um, for people who just you know afford to to buy it for the ten bucks or nine bucks or whatever it's going to be. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Stephen. Excited about this new record. Praying that God uses it and you. Uh, so thanks for your time and thanks for coming on in the room. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Oh Lord, have mercy One of the things I appreciate about Stephen uh, is that his ministry to the church at large is simply the overflow of his ministry to the local church that God has called him to. There's not much worse than a Christian artist or a pastor who wants to be prominent for prominence sake. As a culture, we're obsessed with fame and we're not immune to that as Christians. Now, you won't have a hard time finding social media assassins who criticize any Christian who's working to build a platform, but here's the truth. Prominence is not the problem. What motivates our pursuit of it is. We're all a mixed bag of motivation, and so we want to make Jesus famous, and at the very same time, nobody hates the praise that comes with being skilled at your craft. The problem comes, though, when we pursue the praise, when we pursue the prominence for personal validation. So by all means, build a platform, plant a church, start a blog, record a record, just be sober-minded about what it is that's motivating you. Give your local community the authority to ask you questions and to speak into your heart. Empower them to always remind you that your validation, your identity doesn't come from uh, retweets or likes or album sales. You're a son or a daughter of God. Any prominence that God gives us is only so that we can make him famous. I so appreciated my conversation with Stephen, and if you'd like to enter to win a free copy of Stephen's new record, Liberating King, then head over to my blog at ryanhugley.com and share the giveaway phrase on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember, if you're using Facebook, make sure that I'm tagged in the post so I know that you've entered, and on Friday, we're going to choose three people at random for this week's giveaway. You can enter as many times as you want. You can share on all three platforms. It's really up to you, but head over to the blog, find that phrase, and enter to win the free copy. Well, that's it for this episode, but don't forget there's lots of ways that you can connect with me. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. You can stay up to date on upcoming episodes by liking our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ITR podcast. And you can always find more content and show notes on my blog at ryanhughley.com. We're going to be back next week with episode number 29 and my conversation with author Gloria Furman to discuss her new book, The Pastor's Wife, Strengthened by Grace for a Life of Love. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.